Let's just say, Jamie, what's the peace sign? Show me peace. Because that's a word and a phrase that means something to you. And give us two fingers is like like what they needed to know, like for some neurological testing thing. But a peace sign is two fingers. And I said, Jamie, give us two fingers right in front of the neurologist who'd been not getting anything. And you in a hundred percent clearly moved your two fingers, your two peace sign fingers. I'm Jamie Mo Crazy, and you're listening to Life Gets Mo Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through it. Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life so when a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. As we are coming up to Mother's Day, I'm here with my mama, Mama Mo Crazy. And let me tell you, she had so much of an involvement personally in my recovery, as well as professionally in things that she's learned from my recovery and gives out to other people. So that's kind of what we're going to chat about today. And we're going to chat as if we're having tea, because I know my mama loves tea. She does not like coffee. So, Mama Crazy, come on over and have some tea with me. Hi, Jamie. Yep, I have a nice big warm mug of tea. What kind? Uh, It's um, uh, English breakfast. Ah, nice. It's from England. Tips. Nice. Well, so let's start out with the personal side and start out right at the moment that you started to find out that you were going to become a caregiver and I was experiencing a trauma. So I know you love to relive this, so let's (laughs) relive it again. And by love to relive it, I mean whenever there's a camera pointed at her and she relives it, she gets all emotional because she she dives into it. So let's relive that verbally. Okay. Well, um, I was in Connecticut with your youngest sibling and your dad and your oldest sibling. And for some reason, it was a nice day. We were taking a walk at the beach And I got a call. Now, I'd had a call, I don't know, 20 minutes before from your sister Jeannie saying Jamie was in a bad accident. And I didn't really. And then she hung up and I didn't say anything else or think anything. I just tried to keep that out of my mind. But it was it was in there. And then she called again. And. um yeah, she was very upset. And then I got on the phone and there was a a doctor that was talking to me. And um, somehow your three other family members had gotten like maybe 
oh, I don't know, a hundred feet away from me. Like I was in the top part of this, of the beach and they were like by the water and the doctor was talking to me and, um, telling me a lot of information and I knew it was really, really serious information. And then, oh, and then he said something and I said, okay, um, can you just tell me if my daughter is alive right now? Cause I really couldn't tell from what he was saying, actually, if he was trying to tell me that you had died. And so that was, that was like, I had to try to, forced that question out and his answer was yes for the moment (sighs) and I screamed and I fell down in the sand and they all came running over and I and I gave the phone to Amy who is your eldest sister and she's a doctor and I said you have to talk to this person I don't understand and so he told her whatever he said. And um, so I guess that's when I knew I was going to be a caretaker, a caregiver. And they helped me get to the car. And we figured out how to get to you. Um you were in Whistler, Canada, and we were in Connecticut, Jilly and I, and we didn't have passports, so we had to figure the complicated, convoluted way to get our passports to us as we were traveling across the country and up to Canada, and your dad was able to go straight up. And then, um, so as I was spending the almost 24 hours trying to get to you, I just had one thought, which was, if you're alive, which thankfully you are, but at the moment of that trip, I had no idea. If you're alive, I'll care for you as long as I have you. And as long as you need me to care for you. So as long as I need you to have me take, not take care of you, but care for you, was so important to me right from the beginning that I would be caring for you rather than taking care of you. And I had no idea then whether I would be doing that for a few days, a month, a year, or a lifetime. Or if you'd be able to get to a point where you were able to live without somebody caring for you um, part-time, full-time, or anything. So so you did. You got to the point where you have no need for being cared for in that sense. Always being cared for, but not not somebody caring for you to be sure that you're fed and cleaned and... Um, moved around and loved. You know, every time I hear that story, (laughs) I get emotional as well, especially when I hear it from you, (laughs) because I don't remember. And it's 
it's such a point in my life that has changed and created so many opportunities actually from it. And I was involved in the sense that it was me who was having the accident, but I have no memory of that time. And I also have no memory and I had no control over anything at the beginning and then very little for like a year. And so something that I think is so important is that with that emotional stress you had going on, you just found out that someone you loved a lot had just experienced a huge trauma and you had to take control over helping create things to happen. And I I like how you said you had the idea that you would just care for me, whatever level I got back to, however long you had to care for me. But you immediately had kind of a powerful position. And as a mom, you had experienced this with me before when I was born. Um, when I was when I was born and anyone who's listening who's a parent, you have everything in control and you make all the decisions about your child's life when they are an infant baby, which is similar back to someone who's experienced a TBI at the stage. And we've talked a bit about how you think it was going back through my childhood again. So can you let's mention some similarities that we see in that. Um, you know, every single time you invite me to be interviewed, I have kind of a resistance because it really is an emotionally difficult experience to come back to. Um, and yet, I think it's super important to stay with that emotional experience and um, know that it's always a part of me. So as much as I resist, um, I also appreciate being brought back to this place. Your question was, what are the similarities between... Um, Going through your childhood again and mm-hmm. having a traumatic brain injury. So or going yeah. through your childhood. So a baby is born. And when a baby is born, uh, they're just 100% dependent on their parents. They're, they're, um, and if, if it's a nursing situation on, on their mom for their, you know, food sustenance as well as as every other aspect of of their needs and um a person in a coma is a hundred percent dependent on somebody something someone people and and medicines and machines which are a little different so that's a little different because obviously i wasn't capable of nursing you at um, when you had your coma, sort of a funny concept to think about. Uh, but you had to be fed 
and you had to have liquids and feeding and had to be cleaned and um, had to be soothed. And even though you were in the coma, it was, it was really clear certain things were too exciting for you. Certain things were disturbing to you. Some sounds were uncomfortable for you and other sounds were really soothing. So that was very similar. Um, the same kinds of sounds that were too exciting for you when you were a baby were the same sounds that were too exciting, like certain reading. Um, now, Harry Potter wasn't out when you were a baby, but reading exciting stories that I would read to one of your older siblings, um, you couldn't you couldn't listen to me read exciting stories. And you couldn't, people thought, well, maybe we'll read Harry Potter because she loves Harry Potter so much. And you were too excited. It, you're, you're just too agitated listening to Harry Potter. So I, I sang you your lullabies that you loved as an infant, and I sang those again. So the sounds and so- songs were kind of repeated. Um, and then when you were becoming more able, um, when you were be- waking up, you it was uh, similar to a baby's schedule. You'd be awake when you were awake, and you were asleep when you were asleep. And it wasn't really um, – you can't really – set a schedule for infants and, and young babies for their sleeping. They get a little older, you can kind of begin to set some schedules, which we were able to do. And then you get past past that and playing games and stimulating activities and um, both physical, mental, and cognitive activities. We kind of uh, added those in. Um, and they were kind of the same thing. I, I went back, I homeschooled you when you were a little girl, as you know, but other people don't. And I repeated a lot of your favorite topics and curriculums um, during the year after, or after, like the year, year and a half after your injury. So one of the things you did in my recovery was you really focused on person-centered thinking and person-centered ideas and programs And that's something that you have been working on and studying and doing workshops on since before I was born. (laughs) And it's something that we've gone back to and we're really working on with some different brain injury programs and certifications to give out to our caregiver programs that we're developing for More Crazy Strong. So let's talk a little bit about person-centered thinking. What is that and how did you do that in my recovery? Uh, person-centered thinking, person-centered uh, programs, and person-centered practices. It's, it's just um, kind of intuitive to me on the one hand. And I, it's really hard at this point, and I'll explain what person-centered is. Um, but it's really hard for me to differentiate whether it's a natural, intuitive way I am or that it's something that I I think it is natural to me on the one hand, and yet I did 40 years ago. I remember my first workshop um, for person-centered family therapy programs. So person-centered is rather than um, an outside entity saying, this is the program and this is how it's going to work and these are the outcomes that we're looking for. Person-centered means we're going to have a person. We're going to say, so um, in the case of you, Jamie, like, so 
what's important for Jamie? What is Jamie like? What is Jamie interested in? What what can we do that will engage Jamie? And then while you're in the coma, having these conversations, and then when you are out of the coma, rather than looking at um, just um, arbitrary, you know, we we need to have her cognitive um, um, cognitive input increase by twenty five percent, and her her cognitive output increase by seventy five percent. Those are so arbitrary terms that. Normal lay people, even people who know things might not even know what actually. And when you're in the caregiver moment and your, your loved one is, is even if you know things, sometimes those kinds of, um, statistical separated from a human being ideas mean nothing to you. And you really are interested in what's good for my kid, what's good for my loved one. So um, an example for you was you were in your coma and um, the the neurologist in the ICU department were saying, um, uh, give us two fingers, give us two fingers. And every day they come in and say, show us two fingers, give us two fingers. And I'm like, what in the world would I think show us two fingers means give us two fingers? What does that mean? And so I said, you know what, let's just ask her, give us a peace sign. Let's just say, Jamie, what's the peace sign? Show me peace. Because that's a word and a phrase that means something to you. And give us two fingers is like like what they needed to know, like for some neurological testing thing. But a peace sign is two fingers. And I said, Jamie, give us two fingers right in front of the neurologist who'd been not getting anything. And you in a hundred percent clearly moved your two fingers, your two peace sign fingers, not very much, just, but enough that we who were watching so carefully could see that imperceptible by maybe to others movement. And so um, that was an example of switching from the formal two fingers to a person-centered approach, which is something that you understood. Peace sign. Yeah. And thinking creatively seems to be a very important component of the person-centered approach. Because as you mentioned, instead of just looking at statistics of what should happen, you look at what the actual person wants. So we did a program with NASHA yesterday on this exact topic And the woman who is leading it, she was saying how she is a vegan. And so when she goes, if she was going into the hospital and someone was offering her food, she'd probably throw it because she, if she was nonverbal, because she didn't have a mode of communication besides drastic modes of communication. And no one really took the effort to find out what she wanted. They just did what they did for everybody else. And she didn't want meat and they gave her meat. And so that's the a big difference with person-centered approaches is that each individual is different. And so you have to think creatively about what each individual wants. Like what you mentioned for me, I understood peace sign. I had no understanding of two fingers. So finding those little shifts, which brings us to another thing that was a huge thing in my recovery process and something 
that were teaching out to other caregivers, you had some educational ideas and you were confident in your power as my caregiver. And a lot of parents or siblings or anyone who's involved with someone who's experienced a trauma. I just said parents because that's my situation. (laughs) But a lot of caregivers, they know that the doctors have gone through extensive training, medical school, residency, and they have. And I think highly of their training. Yet, you know your daughter or your son or your parent more than anyone else does. So that's a really important thing. The caregiver has power and you need to utilize what you know. The caregiver doesn't know the medical terminology, but they know if they like to be Robert, Bob, or Bobby. And how you interact and call each person will change their outcome. Is, Is that what you believe as well, Fruit? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think as the, as the caregiver, I had this amazing opportunity in that I was trained, um, professionally trained in, um, many aspects that were, uh, really essential for your recovery. But I don't think that every caregiver needs to have the training that I had to be the powerful caregiver for their loved one. Um, like you were saying, you know, um, food, oh my gosh, food was so important to you. And we have the cutest video of you begging your big sister, please, I love you. And I'm so hungry, bring me food. And it was adorable. And you wouldn't, you didn't want just hospital food. I mean, it wasn't, It wasn't because of being a vegan in your case, but you did not. You wanted your family homemade food. And that was critical for you that, that it came from your family. And, um, because family meals were an essential part of your lifestyle. They, they still are. They always were. That's something that we did. So, um, knowing that as the, caregiver knowing what is an essential part of your loved one's life prior to their their um, brain injury what was essential for them what were the things that that they thrived on and you know we watched friends and I, I you loved what it was when you were like you began to be able to remember humor and and putting things together so so the meals, the friends, the like the human friends, the people that came to visit you, that was those were critically important things for you. And so as the caregiver, knowing your power, you really have a power. I mean, you, you don't have to have degrees and certifications and years of experience in education as a as a person-centered um Per, uh, uh, professional um, in as a counselor and uh, giving workshops and everything. You have all the years of being the parent, the spouse, the loved one, the the whatever your relationship is. You have that power as the caregiver, knowing those things that are so important, and making sure that one of the things that um, we did with 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 you, Jamie, was when you were in 
not not in the ICU so much, but once we were into the recovery part of the hospital, people would just walk in and you were so uh, um offended and and like 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 scared offended and scared by all these strangers just walking in into your sanctuary into your room so i put a little sign up um and i said please knock before inter- entering um please speak to to me i said to to Jamie's mom before you speak to Jamie and um she loves pink really simple really simple. And after that, nobody walked in without knocking. Everybody spoke to me first. And, um, you know, people who were cleaning the floor said, hi, good morning. I'm just, um, if it's all right to clean the floor now. Um, and before that, they would try to come in very, and very unobtrusively, but they were coming in and you felt it was an intrusion and really felt offended. So just a simple sign on the door was adequate, not adequate. I mean, it changed, changed the whole dynamics of how people treated you. You have so many amazing stories and amazing concepts and ideas that people can bring in if they're thrust into the role of being a caregiver. And so that is something that Mo Crazy Strong has started to do, working on Heal the Healers and Caregivers campaigns. And so what have you slash me slash we, what have we already done? And what is in the future for caregivers and Mo Crazy Strong? Uh, well, we did an amazing, I, yes, we're going to pat ourselves on the back. It was an amazing uh, video campaign for the month of, of March in um 2021, which happens to be the year that we happen to be talking, but who knows when somebody's going to listen to this. And uh, that was a campaign for the caregivers. And we had 10 videos with that uh, and and a, a webinar that we also had where we, we um, it was a live webinar. I think we have that recording also. And we're going to be bringing together some programs that are for the caregivers. So we're hoping, we're planning um, to start in May or the 1st of June in 2021 for this particular program. And we're going to, it's going to be a program that's for the caregivers, helping them understand their power and the different alternative um, options they have to create the kinds of therapies and treatments and the kinds of questions to be asking of their of the people who that they that are part of the system, you know the um, the speech therapists and the occupational therapists, the physical therapists, the emotional therapists, whatever those the doctors themselves, understanding how to ask questions and what kinds of questions and why to be asking questions and um, just the power of being um, the caregiver, re- really supporting the caregivers because without the strength of the caregivers. Our loved ones are lost. And as caregivers, we are, have this amazing and beautiful, um, opportunity. We can, we can have it be a spiritual one if we want. We can have it be very practical if we want. That's our choice. That's connected to how we are as people and how we are with our loved one and how our loved one is. 
it's I'm I'm just so excited to be um, offering these programs and yeah after you know I've been in the world of not brain injuries per se but in the world of supporting people to be their own personal best person and I've done this in their personal lives with my all of my children, my children's friends, and in my professional life, in the workshops that I did. I did five years of self-esteem workshops for women, and I've done, I've worked on parenting programs and and private practice and a counselor in a school and being a teacher and, you know, 40 years of, of so many ways of bringing, bringing the person-centered and the be your own best and live your dreams and, you know, climb that alternative peak. We didn't have that phrase. Jamie had that phrase, climb your alternative peak. It's so powerful. It allows you rather than having to climb the peak that you've set out or society has set for you or the doctors and and therapists and other, other people have set for your loved one. Instead of only having their one peak that they've set up, climbing your own alternative peak allows you as the caregiver to find peaks. Maybe you're going to, instead of just one peak, maybe you're going to find like you want to go on a mountain range and climb all the peaks that there are. Yay. Good for you. I'm so excited for you. Look at, look at your opportunities. Be creative and keep your mindset into positive options, positive, positive thinkings. Let, let go of, well, what if? What if it's already happened? The what if happened? So, you know, don't worry about the what ifs that are out there. Think of, uh, think of what, how can I allow this to happen? How can I create this amazing opportunity? What can we do to set up um, situations. That's what we're going to be doing in these workshops that, that we're having these courses and programs that we're setting up, um, for healing the healers. Um, it's really exciting and, uh, putting together all the things that I have and all the things that people are really needing, desperately needing to be able to support and take care of not Oh, you know, we don't want to take care of, right? We want to care for them. We want to give them a sense of that there's something in that, in their recovery that's theirs while they're even in the coma, when they're nonverbal, when their body doesn't move, wherever, whatever they're in, we want to give them that sense that they are the person still. They are not just connected to the machines. They are, they are a valuable entity. They are a human being with passions and desires and being creative to find options to make them feel that they are is, is, is so important. So um, that's a big, long story about what we're going to be doing and how excited I am about it. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love the passion and that's definitely something that uh, Jeannie, Mama Mo Crazy, and I bring to Mo Crazy Strong is a lot of passion because we've had some different ideas and different things and to be able to all join together and realize what we can do 
is pretty phenomenal. So I'm very excited about it as well, which is why I wanted you to talk about it because I'm passionate for it too. Um, but so thank you so much because we're, we're out of time now, but thank you so much for coming on the show and um, hope that people get fired up for Mother's Day. I know that I'm fired up to talking to my mama right now and she just said so many things you have to replay this episode a couple of times maybe to get get it all soaked in but um anyways mo crazy thank you so much for coming on the show and i will see you later thanks so much jamie and and i want to say as a parent we get to be celebrated as mamas because we had our children and without our children we can't be mamas so um you know, it's a two-way, the mama day is a two-way experience. So, and I really appreciate, thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, it's an emotional upheaval every single time because I have to go back every time I know. And every time uh, I know that what we are saying and sharing and doing will provide opportunities for so many people to step out of the fear that they're living in as the caregiver and step into newfound joys of caring for their loved one. So thank you again and again and again.